Hello, it's Shelley F. Knight, bringing you Positive Changes, a self-kick podcast. show we're joined by Athena Crilly and she is the podcast host of Finding My Fit. So hello there. Hello, hi everybody. <laughs> Bless you for joining us today. I know you've had quite a journey so please do share your story which led to a positive change. Yeah, so I think the biggest positive change in my life is recovering from an eating disorder. So I was first diagnosed with anorexia when I was about 13 and I'm 24 now so that was about 11 years ago and I I would say I wasn't fully recovered really until I was about 20 years old Um, so I suffered for about seven years and in that time I had many ups and downs I um, was in and out of hospital um, five times so quite it's quite a long struggle it was very difficult but I'm now 24 I've been fully recovered for about four years and that is probably the biggest hardest thing I'll ever do in my life so I'm so glad now that I'm in a position that I never thought I would be in at the time as you know as an anorexic when you're really deep in the eating disorder you do genuinely think you're never going to get out of it but here I am and I'm fully recovered and I'm out of it. So that's definitely the biggest positive change for me. Oh, wow. It's really interesting what you said. Look, when you're in it, you don't think you'll ever get out of it. Because in my nursing days in acute medicine, I had to nurse a lot of people with eating disorders. And I'm trying to be PC, but they were very manipulative souls. Do you know what I mean? They knew exactly how to work the team. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I don't want to offend you, but is that part of the mindset? It's the one thing in your life you control. So like a lot of it led from like childhood issues of trauma or divorce and things like that. And they felt the one thing they control be their eating. And they were really manipulative, quite hard to nurse if I'm honest. Can you relate to that? A hundred percent. Like, honestly, it's not. Well, I personally am not offended by that because I, I yeah, that's a that is a big thing that anorexics are very they can be very manipulative because like as an anorexic you will do even if you're in hospital and you know you're there to try and get better you know that the nurses are there to help you you you'll do anything you can to like avoid eating or to exercise or just the anorexia does make you very manipulative and you become you do become quite kind of selfish in a way because the people around you you know that they have your best interests in their hearts but all you care about is continuing your eating disorder behaviors and it does put this kind of blinker over you it, like completely it can change who you are really and it's not until you fully recover from it that you kind of look back and you realize what you were like but you don't realize it at the time <laughs> Bless you. Thank you for being so honest. I felt really awkward kind of asking for my like nursing observations that they were really hard to nurse for me. Bless you. <laughs> so was there a trigger? Um, what was there a trigger for my Yeah, I mean, sort of- like I saw that I used to see it a lot when there would be sort of um abuse or divorce, like a huge change in the family situation, generally before the ages of eight, which is probably just coincidence, but was there a trigger in your life? 
where you felt you needed to grasp some kind of control? I don't, do you know, I don't know because, um, and I wrote, I, I mentioned this at the start of my book is that people usually, a lot of the time, if you develop an eating disorder, there is generally some one particular trigger that you can kind of pinpoint and think maybe that kind of sparked something. For me, the only big change that happened in my life when I was about 12 was my grandparents kind of, it's a long story, I won't go into it, but my grandparents kind of cut me out of their lives um and although at the time I wasn't really that bothered like I don't remember being particularly like heartbroken about it I just kind of accepted it but that was the only big event in my life at the time that I can really think maybe that triggered some kind of reaction and like kind of spiraled me into the eating disorder I know as a as a 12 year old I definitely I was starting to have those thoughts about my body and the way I looked and the way other people saw me. I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was overweight as a 12 year old, but I was definitely like, I had a bit of like puppy fat, you know, like yeah. I, I wasn't like skinny or slim, but I wasn't massively overweight. But I do remember thinking as a 12 year old, oh, I want to lose some weight. And I think my personality is quite, I'm very driven and I can get quite obsessive with things. And I think that also contributed to me developing an eating disorder because I would start exercising and restricting my food intake. And it just, it became more and more to the point where I was exercising for hours and hours and barely eating, probably because my personality gets quite obsessive with things, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. So it's making me wonder, because yours, you said it wasn't a major event or not one you recognised at the time. So there's different types of anorexia, isn't it? It's like the bulimia and the nervosa. Is that like well, the bulimia yeah. is where you make yourself sick, is that right? And then you've got the nervosa where you don't eat. Well, so there's anorexia nervosa. There's bulimia. I don't know whether the full name is bulimia nervosa, but bulimia is kind is kind of like a different eating disorder. So you can get like obviously there's so many different eating disorders, but within anorexia, you can also get kind of sub sub disorders. So you can get anorexia with like binge purge subtype. I think that's the the proper name, and that's where you're anorexic, but you do also purge. So you make yourself sick. You can also be anorexic and have an exercise obsession, which is definitely what I suffered with. Um, so there's kind of, there's so many different eating disorders. And a lot of the time, those who suffer with one eating disorder will generally have another one or they will have tendencies of other ones. So like with mine, anorexia, I was also very obsessed with exercise. Um, but I personally never binged or purged so I I didn't really suffer with any kind like I didn't make myself sick but I just exercised and restricted a lot bless you and this pattern went on for like seven years yeah pretty much yeah I mean like I said I did have my ups and downs um there were a few months where I would I would kind of maintain my weight but I was still very much anorexic so throughout the seven years my weight did go up and down a little bit I was always underweight but there were times when I was very very underweight and times where I was like not as obviously underweight but my mindset remained very much anorexic and 
that really is like you can be a normal weight but still anorexic because it's all about the mindset it's about the behaviors it's about the thoughts and the feelings around food and exercise and just yourself um so yeah it, it persisted and until i was about 20 um and then that's when i really truly started to see the changes in my mindset i find it fascinating if that's the right word <laughs> probably not but it's just the awareness you have now of the mindset and how that's more of the issue most of them and the food and the exercise i find it truly fascinating and i love the fact that you say that you're fully recovered because another thing from my nursing days was like alcohols alcoholics um and they never were thought to really fully recover they were always an alcoholic even if they weren't drinking it was just always a condition part of them almost but you're saying you fully recovered so how how do you know when you've made it out the other side oh, that that is a tough question i honestly most most people with eating disorders i think in particular anorexia will never fully recover they might get to that point where they can manage it and where they're a normal weight and they can still have a bit of flexibility around the food and they're not as obsessed with exercise but a lot of people still will have these odd little thoughts about you know about restricting and exercise um and obviously everyone everyone does have those kind of thoughts whether you have an eating disorder or not but mm, um yeah. kind of intrusive thoughts um that's kind of more what I'm talking about but I I definitely would say I'm fully recovered and I have been for years because I don't get those thoughts to restrict or exercise anymore I'm I'm able to spontaneously go out for a meal knowing it's probably loads of calories and I can spontaneously go in out drinking for a night out without thinking oh calories what what if I can't get to the gym tomorrow um and it, it really is about that relaxation in your mindset and just not, I think the, re, the, the way I knew I'd properly recovered was when my, my life didn't revolve around food and exercise yeah. and I was able, they came along with things. So I made plans first and then, oh, if we decide to go for food on that day when we're out, then okay, we go for food. Whereas as an anorexic, I, I probably just wouldn't have gone out because I would have been worried about, oh, what if we go out for food and I have to eat? So it, I think for me, I know I'm fully recovered because I'm fully relaxed about all of those things that I used to be so particular with and so anxious about. I love that. I truly hope your last words really help someone. So one of the tools they could try would be like, rather than focus on the food and the exercise to make plans which is a great kind of thing to do in life anyway, but to make the plans to go out and just relax around the outcome of that. Yeah, I, I fully believe that one of the main ways that I managed to recover, you know, for good is building a support network and having, just having people around me that truly cared and they knew what I was going through and they would support me regardless. And they would invite me to go out and do things. And I never had that as a teenager, you know, during high school or secondary school. Um, people, you know, as teenagers, you don't really understand eating disorders if unless you're going through one. So a lot of my friends at, at secondary school would just kind of just ignore me and just kind of leave me. 
they wouldn't invite me to things because they probably thought oh she doesn't want to come anyway mm. whereas when you grow a bit older people are a bit more understanding and they will invite you anyway even though you might appear like you don't want to go if that makes sense yeah. so it's just like having people that truly care about you regardless of what you're going through 100% helps so much I love that. I think that's really valuable because when you speak about anorexia, it's such a physical thing, isn't it? It's to do with the body, the exercise, what you put in, what comes out, all that kind of thing. I love that. But actually, I think you've just highlighted how we forget the social side, the emotional side and things like that. It's, you know, multifaceted, isn't it? So really, when you do heal and create the positive changes, you're not just changing the physical side, it's the social side, the emotional side, which I think is really valuable yeah arguably that side is more important because you can weight restore somebody you know you can you you can feed somebody who's anorexic or force feed them whatever however you want to do it but if you don't target the mindset and the psychology and the emotional aspect of it they're good they're still anorexic and as soon as they go out of hospital or they go out of your care they're just going to go straight back to doing what they were doing before so that is where like it's so so important to change and target the psychology because at the end of the day it's a mental health disorder it's not a physical disorder it's mental health and the physical manifestations of weight loss and um being very underweight is kind of like a symptom or a side effect of what's going on inside that person's head so targeting what's inside the head is ultimately it's kind of like getting to the root of the problem instead of just kind of going over it yeah and I think that happens a lot unfortunately in healthcare that people always want to you know solve what's in front of them but not the source of why they've got it in front of them like the alcoholics you know you can dry them out on um, various medicines but you're not asking why did you drink in the first place what was the trigger what takes you back every time you ever drink yeah yeah because if even if they um even if they're not drinking while they're in recovery or while they're in treatment if if you don't target the reason that they went into that alcoholism then that's always going to remain there so they can always go back to it and develop alcoholism again even if they recover for a little bit that root of the problem is still there yeah, they say like putting a sticky plaster on something, isn't it? Like when you've been wounded yeah. in the past, you put a sticky plaster on, you can't really see it, but inevitably it's still there. It will fester and it will come up at some point. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's a really good metaphor. I like that. <laughs> Bless you. So at the age of 13, you got diagnosed. Now, this is probably a really rhetorical question, but bear with me. How did you know you needed help or what be- became obvious that you needed help or there was a diagnosis was it just because you looked thin or was there more to it than that in all honesty I wasn't (laughs) it was kind of my mum that forced me to go to the doctor in the first place so I it was around May of this would have been 2009 um in May I got you know do you remember the wee fit yeah yeah well I got one of those because they were like all the rage back in the day (laughs) So I got one of those and I started using that kind of every night. And then at the same time, I would be very slowly just taking out more and more from my daily food intake. Um, So that combined, I lost around, I, I lost around three and a half stone in about three months, 
which probably doesn't sound like that much, but when you're not that overweight as it is, that that was about a third of my body weight. So by that point, by, by the time I got to about September, I was very emaciated. I was very underweight and it was probably very obvious. Um, and my mum has obviously been saying, oh, like, you know, maybe don't go on the Wii. At, at the time, we didn't think it was a disorder. We just thought, oh, she just wanted to lose weight and now it's she's lost the weight. Now go back to normal. Um, and obviously when she was telling me, oh, don't exercise tonight or maybe eat a little bit more, um, and I was refusing to, that's when she probably thought, oh, like, maybe there's a bit of a problem here. You know, she's becoming a bit obsessive with these things. Um, so, yeah, she basically forced me to go and see um, a paediatric consultant who specialises in treatment of eating disorders. So we went to see him and he pretty much admitted me to the hospital kind of there and then. And that that was really when the start of, you know, the whole journey for me. Bless you. And you shared your journey in your book. And you say it's amazing. You say you've come out the other side and you've recovered from it, but there's seven years. So just sort of share that journey. So, you know, you you start with a wee fit, kind of overdone it, get yeah. taken to the doctors, end up in hospital, and then you've got seven years on this journey. So what happened on that journey? Honestly, like it, it was so difficult for me to, when I was writing my book, so basically my book is literally my journey I've kind of just put my journey into words and um explain you know the whole process my mindset and the recovery process and what enabled me to actually remember everything that happened was I wrote a lot of diaries during my teenage years at, like I wrote extensive diaries and I actually pulled all of those out and um had a look at them to kind of piece together my book and I took actual inserts of my diaries and put them into my book so the reader can see word for word the things that I wrote as I was going through, you know, my inpatient treatment or recovery. Um, so that did really help try and remember what happened because honestly, I can literally, it's kind of a blur, like the whole of my teenagers is a blur, but the general timeline would be, so my first hospital admission was about October 2009 and that was just in the general um, paediatric ward at my hospital. Um, after that I pretty much remained exactly the same. I was still exercising obsessively and restricting a lot and then I got admitted again in the April of the year after um, and that was my second admission and then I was pretty much kind of left alone for like the next year I mean I still had regular hospital appointments but I, I showed really no improvement um I was still continuing exactly the same way um and then the next admission was in what year would that have been I was 16 and that was like around Christmas time and my weight was like the lowest it had ever been up to that point and the doctor had um he basically forced me to get a you know like a nasogastric treat uh, tube yeah. so like the tube that goes up your nose into your stomach so I had to have one of those over Christmas which wasn't very nice um so that was my final year of secondary school um then I kind of seemed to improve like a little bit um, up until I went to sixth form and I noticed that a lot of the time throughout the seven years of my journey 
the things that triggered me to get worse again were quite big changes. So like me transitioning from high school to sixth form seemed to kind of trigger my eating disorder again. Like I never, I'd never recovered at high school, but there were times, like I said, where it was like manageable. But then when I got to sixth form, I just went straight back downhill again. And so that was my fourth hospital admission, which was actually in a specialist eating disorder unit in a priory hospital. Um, so I, I, I mean, I go into detail in my book about the ins and outs of a specialist unit because it's completely different to a general hospital. Um, so I won't kind of talk about that too much here, but that was my fourth stay. And then the year after that, just before, just after my 19th birthday was my fifth and final hospital admission. And then after that, like I said, I made, I didn't really make massive improvements during my hospital stays. Personally, for me, they just didn't really work. But when I was about 19, I got um, like a full-time job. I got my first boyfriend. Um, I then moved to uni later that year and met some really amazing people. And I think that is when I truly started to recover when I was busy at uni, I was going out, I was having fun. I had people around me that cared. Um, and that, yeah, uh, that's the start of my recovery when anorexia just took a backseat. <laughs> I think that's really important because there's quite a lot of changes. And you said that one of the triggers to your eating disorder was when there was change, like going into sixth form. But it's make people aware that just keep creating those positive changes. Because when you went to uni, a huge change, isn't it? Because you're going away from the home and everything you was actually okay. That was actually a turning point. So I think it's so important to just keep trying when you're doing all these positive changes that one day it will stick and it will work for you. Yeah, it's, it is one of them things where changes can either send an anorexic one way or the other. So the change can either send you spiraling back into the eating disorder and getting worse, or it can take you down recovery. And like you said, as long as those changes are positive, it doesn't matter how big the change is. If it's a positive one, then you would hope that it would push you into the recovery path instead of the other way. Yeah. I probably know the answer to this, having nursed <laughs> anorexics on the ward. But when you're in the hospital and you've got the nasogastric tubes and all those kind of things, did you have any sort of mental health support, any counselling at all was it always just the medicine um not not when I was in the general hospital so when I was just in my local pediatric ward um no there was no kind of additional treatment I did have outpatient therapy once a week for like a good few months but that wasn't it wasn't um intense enough to actually make much of a difference to my mindset like one hour once a week is not going to change the way an, an eating disorder person thinks, you know, um, when I was in the specialist unit. So the last two times I was in hospital in the priories, they did have more of a therapy program. Yeah. Um, but again, like I, I still don't think even, even in the specialist mental health units, I still don't think the therapy was as intense as it should be. Um, but obviously it comes down to things like funding and staff and you know all of that but um I did have the odd bit of therapy here and there but personally for me I never really 
I don't know. I feel like I just never really got much from it. And I don't know whether that's just me the way I am or whether I was just not willing to respond to it at the time. Um, but therapy does work for some people, but just not for me. <laughs> yeah, I was asking because obviously at the start you were so clear and I loved it about how mindset, your mindset changed and then your life changed, you sort of overcome it. But I was just wondering, was the resources there? But as you say, it's not for everyone. But what did change your mindset? Was it just the business of university? Was it something someone um, said? What changed? There wasn't, it, there wasn't really like a, a light bulb moment like, oh, I want to recover today. You know, I'd, I'd been, I think it did get to the point as well. I think I'd been battling this for seven years. I'd got nowhere. I realized that anorexia doesn't get you anywhere. And I finally realized that. And I was, I think a lot of it was, I was preoccupied with going to uni. I knew that this was a massive thing in my life and it would lead me on to bigger and better things. And when I had, you know, like my boyfriend, my friends around me and they were inviting me to do things, I just realised that those those moments and those memories are way more important than worrying about food or drink or exercise. And ultimately, like you only live once you, and you don't want to spend your whole life just worrying about unnecessary things. I used to look at other people and think wow, how amazing would it be to not have to worry about food or about exercise? How amazing would it be to wake up one day, get, um, I don't know, like a fry up or like a whatever breakfast you want, pancakes, not go to the gym and just be lazy all day? Because I would never let myself do that as an anorexic. But I realise now that sometimes we need days like that and it's totally normal and you're not going to, you know, go massively overweight and become really lazy just for taking one day off. Um, so, yeah, I guess it just put a bit of perspective on my life when I moved to uni. I love it. It's a, I know some people think it sounds too simplistic, but it is almost like finding something else to put your focus on. Because I think, well, you know, what you focus on, you attract, don't you? So if you're going to always be looking at the control around food or exercise, you're going to miss out on that so is. much. But I know it's not that simple. As I've said, I'm very aware that as I'm saying it, that I know it's not that simple, but you make it sound so easy and I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so complex. It's so, so complex. And obviously what I've said is very, very simplified. Um, and it's not that easy. It makes it sound kind of easy, but um, if I have to try and summarise it, then definitely focusing on the mindset is the best way forward 100 percent. i absolutely love it so do you have like little positive sayings that you use what how do you keep yourself on track um so i i never used to like quotes that much and you know like i always thought they're a bit cheesy but especially in the past maybe six months i've definitely become a, a very quote orientated person uh, i do love a good quote i always remember <laughs> one that i I remember painting it on a canvas when I was in hospital and I don't know, I, I, I think I just made this quote up in my head. I didn't hear it anywhere, but I just made it up and it was blue skies are coming and it kind of signified to me that although at the moment, you know, there's a storm, there's black clouds, there's raining, there's always a blue sky that is going to be on the way. You know, it doesn't even, I don't know, the British weather, for example, yes, it might <laughs> rain a lot. But there's always that one day where there's a blue sky and a sun in the sky somewhere. You know, it's not very often, but um, 
there's always one coming and that kind of that quote always sticks with me I love that blue skies are coming (laughs) sounds a bit cheesy but yeah (laughs) but it's true isn't it I I mean they are coming and we always want you know if we can't see things that we don't believe in them but I think you've shown today on the show that actually you can overcome it which I think is fabulous because I say very nursing backgrounds but people seem to always have it for life, like the alcoholics and the drugs and things like that. But you've, well, you've inspired me just to know that, you know, you can overcome these things that life throws at us. Yeah. Even if at the time you don't think you're ever going to overcome it, it is possible. It's definitely possible. Yeah. And I love the emphasis. I mean, cause you know, we always want to do about self-help or self-kick if you're me, but you don't always have to do it by yourself, do you? I mean, you're saying about the community in the sense of, belonging and the support and things like that so is that something you'd encourage like you know look outside beyond the food into others that can help you oh definitely yeah like friends family even if they don't even if they can't empathize with you if they've never been through it they can still offer support and it it will it does make the world of difference because you realize that there are people that care about you and that want the best for you yeah and I love it because you said that the counselling didn't work for you, that, you know, that sort of the psycho- psychological support didn't really work for you. But that's like professional, but it doesn't mean that socially that won't work. There's different ways that we can talk, isn't there, and get help. Yeah, exactly. I th- Like counselling and that kind of one-on-one therapy, it doesn't work for everybody. And sometimes it's kind of better to speak to the people that you know because you might be more likely to trust their opinion and to open up to them as opposed to a therapist who's who you've never met before and you don't really know very well. So, yeah, I think sometimes it's even better to just speak to the people around you. Yeah. So talking of speaking, you have your own podcast. Is that about your anorexia or is that about helping people overcome it? What's that about? No, it's not, it's not actually focused around my eating disorder. Um, I am kind of planning a few eating disorder based episodes, but my podcast is mainly about kind of health and fitness, um, nutrition and mindset. So it's kind of, it's kind of a bit of everything that I'm interested in really. <laughs> I'm very into like health and kind of science and fitness. So I try and, I try and bring a lot of, um, science-based knowledge onto my podcast but presenting it in such a way that it's interesting and I also do quite a lot of episodes about creating a positive mindset and um how you can be kind of the best version of yourself I love it and your book I think it's gonna be a really emotive read I mean especially the fact you've got the quotes from yourself as you was going through it I think it sounds really powerful so just remind of your book yeah, so it's called Diaries of an Anorexic, a recovery journal, and it's available on Amazon um, as a paperback or a Kindle. Um, I I know some people prefer to have like the physical, like I personally prefer to have like a physical book. So I wanted to make sure it was available as a paperback <laughs> for those people. Um, so yeah, it's basically just kind of my whole story from 13 to now, um, my journey and my recovery. Bless you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I mean, I've got a little bit of a background, bit of knowledge, but I feel truly inspired. I'm a little bit more clever than when I started the show. So thank you so much. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. It's been so fun. Bless you.
If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you subscribe and leave a positive review. If you would like to create your own positive changes, you can buy Positive Changes, a self-kick book from all online book retailers or from shellyfknight.com. If you need a dollop of positivity until the next episode, come like and follow us over on Facebook at Shelly F. Knight, Life Goes On. As always, I've been Shelly F. Knight and you've been amazing. <laughs>